All right, lads. Welcome to the Hot Ball with Dubs TV as part of the class of 95. Look back on the amazing year. And since it's the 25-year anniversary, we thought it'd be great to catch up with you. I know we'd, we'd all rather be doing this in person. And you've had big plans this year. And Clark, I know you were on the committee that was organising everything. So, you know, it, it's a shame that it's done online, but at least we get to have this moment and, and share it with the fans as well. But before we kick into things, I just want to check in on you all. How you all doing? Is are all? Yeah, great. Yeah, Festive yeah. decorations are up except for Finney. No, that's in the front room. I'm in the, the spare room. Finney's <laughs> in the West Wing. Yeah, <laughs> West Wing. I'm in the doghouse as usual. At Christmas time, it's never a good thing, Vinny. I know, I'm never in the doghouse anymore. Done all that in my 20s. I don't do it anymore. Yeah, we, we might get into that later on when we talk about after 95. We won't get into it now. <laughs> well, look, it's kind of a, it's it's a weird year uh, because I know you had the 25-year anniversary as part of that. You get to go for the All-Ireland final, get to go there on match day and be in the parade and be announced at halftime. Like, Clark, you were doing a lot of work on this as part of fundraising to make sure that everyone was kitted out and I, I spoke to Anthony Daly about it because obviously Claire were in the 95 and I don't think he'll ever get over not being able to be on the pitch and all the final day so h- how have you been handling yeah well it's funny uh I went through my emails just on the reunion thing um, but I, I have the whatsapp group and it's been ongoing for uh, maybe f- 10 or 15 years I got all the numbers together including uh, the people that were involved from the county board to our physios, our doctors, our management, every player that was on the squad. And we had a reunion after tw- 20 years in, in Castle Lock Golf Club. It went really, really well. So it was always in the back of the mind that we had to prepare for, for the likes of this. And um, we set up a, a, a nice, tidy committee myself, um, Nick Galvin, Jack Sheedy and Paul Beelan. And it was a year ago that... Uh, I looked at me again, my WhatsApp and met emails that we actually met for the first time to discuss the September. So it was a year in advance, a year in advance, September to September. And th- the plan was to have some sort of golf day that we could get together, have a bite to eat, game of golf, few beers, and then have a luncheon. And what we did was we sought advice and help from previous teams. And it wasn't previous Dublin teams because it was so far back since the last one in All-Ireland. So we touched base with the likes of Down, Derry, Donegal, um, and just see what, what they did. And obviously the element is different to us because we weren't going to travel to Dublin. They were going to do an overnight, you know, uh, overnight in the hotel, go to the All-Ireland and probably overnight a second night. So the dynamic of that was going to change for us. But um, we, we had a great... Uh, Great day planned in Royal Dublin. We we had a bit of gear to give the players a commemorative uh, commemorative golf gear. Um, we were going to have a luncheon, um, and the support for that was unbelievable. Like as soon as people reached out, and they heard it was the '95, it was like it, it was memories flowed back to people, you know, who may be in business now. You know, or, you know, doing well and they're, they're going well in business. But when they were like in their teens, that was the first time they seen Dublin win in All Ireland, and that was a big memory to them. So, so we had over forty tables lined up, and and pretty much done deal 
the supporters that, that particular day. And all people wanted to do was meet the squad and we were going to have a, a, a squad member, a team member sitting at a table and, and take it from there. We had a number of musicians and performers going to be there on the day as well. Obviously, we had the, 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 the big plus. The big plus was that we were able to say, we're going to have Dublin's last few All-Ireland winning managers uh, being up at a top stage and answering questions. You know, Pat Gilroy and Jim Gavin, you know, and then as it was turning out this year, we knew that Desi would be So, you know, Desi might be able to slot, slot in somewhere into that too, you know. So it was, it was making of a, of a great year, but unfortunately it, it didn't work out. But just, look, it, it is a pity. I was kind of looking forward to seeing what suits is picked as well because I didn't know if it was going to be the Liverpool team of the white suits with Jack Sheedy on the panel. Like I've seen some of the outfits that Jack's worn to a few of the events and they're, they're questionable to say the least, but Jack can pull them off. Had you decided on, did you guys, Vinnie, Charlie, would you have had to say in any of that now or that just left to Clarkie and his fashion sense? That'd be down to senior management, Clarkie. Junior management here would have no say in that whatsoever. Clarkie is that was a sartorial um, matter. Clarkie would be the man for that. He always has been. He always has been. He's the worst man I've ever seen with a pocket watch. Mutton dressed up as lamb. We would have been. Do you not remember? Do you remember the pocket watch, Clarky? The three piece. Along the toys would have been tied. And the shorts being buttoned there would have been a different thing altogether, you know. I don't know how long that would have lasted, you know. Well, I heard, Tarky, that you were outvoted. You wanted to have a cravat. But it just <laughs> yeah, well, I did. I told Conor McGregor, go away. You're not even in the same ballpark. Not interested, Conor. Go away. We'll, we'll, we'll sort this out ourselves, you know. Okay. <laughs> well, that can I was waiting for the pop watch. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> yeah, I, like... Yeah, yeah. I still think there's talk of this moment going to happen again, maybe next year or something. I know you're talking to the GA about doing something else, but uh... we spoke. Alan Milton in Crow Park has been brilliant all along because we were able to touch base with him and, and to be asked him the questions like what what actually happens on the day because they were the type of things we wanted to know as well because there is a an element where you know you, you bring the team and subs. But we had an extended panel. There was another 10 players, you know, there or thereabouts on our squad. So as an <coughs> organising group and committee, we sort of said, well, that's not going to happen. The idea of that uh, 26 players and partners, we sort of said, well, look, well, we're making sure that every member of that squad is going to be there. So there's no disrespect to that. We were going to say, look, all players are going to be there and all management is going to be there. And if we could get in, you know, our medics and anything like that as well. We we're going to make sure that all of that group was going to be together, you know. Just on that, Charlie, like, whenever I meet the 95 lads, there's such a great bond there. Like, genuinely, like, yeah, the crack is always going anytime there is, is there around one another. I thought it was crazy that it was nearly 20 years later before you had that official big meetup. And it's actually something that, It'll be 10 years next year from when we won in 2011 and we were like, oh, look, we need to do something now. It's 10 years. We don't want to get to, to 20. Was was that something that just, because you were meeting up so much as a group that it never really crossed your mind? I, I think we had been through so much in, in, in from 91 all the way through to the success in 95 
and as I said, we were sort of battle scarred that we were actually much closer together then uh, than probably most teams would have been. Uh, and when we finally started to reach the top of the mountain in 95, it was it was a lot of relief there, a lot of enjoyment, obviously. Uh, but I think we probably <laughs> spent so much time in one of those companies that we were happy to sort of separate our ways. So <laughs> you're quite right. Whenever we meet up, there's always there's great bond. And I, I, we are, I say to every team I've ever been involved with, any team that wins a championship, and particularly in All-Ireland, there's a bond that's there for life, and that bond will never be broken. You, you may not see one another for many years, but when you meet up again, there's an, that, that bond is immediate. Like Steins, he is away, lives in Australia, and he comes home most, if not every, for the last 10 or 15 years, coming off with a PGA, doing Crow Park, the year of the All-Ireland. And it's like he's never been away. I'm actually meeting him. He lives in Australia more than I meet Vinnie or Clarky there most, most <laughs> of It's crazy to think. But, uh, yeah, you're right that the bond is still there. But we, last we meet up individually. We don't meet up as a group, but you meet up with you know, McDeegan, is 50 yards up the road here. I see him more than I see my own children most times, you know. So, and I'm sure Clarkie around where he lives and Vinnie where they live, they're running into boys all the time. So, but yeah, it's a bond that's never broken ever. And the same way with you, Eamon, your 2011 guys, you know the bond that I'm referring to. And no matter where you go, what part of the world, how long you've been away, the bond is still there. Like, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't, we, we meet up by chance, you know. But as Charlie said, there is a bond. Like if if my phone, I'm like everybody. We nearly have each other's number of the squad in our phone. But if my phone lit up and it was one of the '95 crew, I I know I'd have a smile on my face, you know. And 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 look, in our WhatsApp group, we shared a lot of information. And like we're at a generation now, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff maybe <coughs> bad news or bad news. But there's always a response. There's a respect there that you know will never be taken away because ultimately. You'll always say, like, like we wouldn't have won anything without each other. Ultimately, that's it. Not just one person, but the whole group. So, like, if my phone rang and it was, or it got a text and was someone's name on it, and I went, like, the other day, Robbie Boyle rang me. I haven't spoken to Robbie Boyle in ages. Robbie Boyle at Merrin's Oil. I went, well, like, you're, you're not looking. Are you, you going go to go to Mullingar? Huh? Are you going to go to Mullingar? No. Shamrocks, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, pa- I passed that on to somebody else in the 95 crew. <laughs> but, Vinny, that like, was, was Charlie, as Charlie kind of mentioned there, that co- that bond that comes from being battle hardened and having them scars and going through the dark days. Like, it's great to celebrate on them big occasions and to get to the pinnacle of the All Ireland. Like, you know, that 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 just kind of bounds it all together. But like the the, going through 91 and then the heartache of two All-Ireland final losses, it's them moments as well that really strengthens the panel. I think they're the big things that kind of last you and stand you where you can go through that as a team and then come out the other side and, and win the All-Ireland. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I suppose it started before even 91. You know, I've been there from 88, Clarkie 84, Charlie 83. So... There's an awful lot of water passed under the bridge before 95 and there was an awful lot of heartache as well for a lot of players. You know, I suppose the heartache started for, for me would have been in 88 when we were beaten by Mead. And a great Mead team and, the, and great Cork teams in the late 80s and early 90s. 
and then 91 and into 92. But for about seven or eight years, we were, I would say we were, if we weren't the best team in the country, we were we were beaten by the best team in the country. And we were the most consistent team over a period of maybe eight, nine years. And we just couldn't get over the line for, for multiple reasons. And I think when it came to 95, I just think, I think the management had enough of us and we had enough of each other and we had enough, we certainly had enough of getting it rammed down our throats that the training that year went to a different element. Normally the week or so, 10 days before a match, the training sort of eased off and we went playing a lot of football. But right up to the final, the, the foot was right down all the way because like there was a lot of great players in that, that team, a lot of great characters have you, have you met and a lot of fellas, if you gave them an inch, um, you wouldn't find them on the map because they take that that much distance out of it. Myself included, probably the, the biggest culprit. But I think the management definitely role, um, reigned a lot of uh, that type of stuff in and sort of kept us focused that year. That was the the, the, the greatest thing they'd done. And then, you know, we, we, we'll speak later on about J.O.'s impact coming in. That just added the huge different dynamic to the team that hadn't been there. And in fairness, no other team in the country had it like that. And probably no other team has had it uh, since what's called Donaghy came on in 2006. A player that just done something totally different than any other forward. So I just think it was a perfect storm of that group of players being so battle-hardened over eight or nine years. The management really dialing in where we should be. And just with a mixture of one or two new players coming in just was the perfect mix. And, you know, that we... A lot of people say we fell over the line in 95. I always felt that, and I still do to this day, that, you know, Keith Barr was 26, 27. Paul Horn was 26, 27. I was just gone 25. There was a lot of fellas on that team. I know Charlie was heading to, to probably tour, uh, 26, maybe. He was a little bit older. Clarky the same. But there was a, a group of players there that were just coming or should have been coming to their prime. And then you had the likes of Shea Kyo and these fellas that were really showing up well and trying in 95 that could have pushed it on to maybe win another one at least. But look, you know, at the end of the day, if you're looking back and you've won another and you've won a few things, it's it's never a bad thing until this second team came along and just blasted everything that anybody's ever done out of it. But look, you know, it's great. Yeah, well, like, the learnings that you get from being a player, you kind of look at, and, and Clark, you've touched on this, bringing it into being a manager, a selector, and, and you've been a selector and. 2005 right up to 2008 and back again on their gym like when you look at you know how you were preparing for games and what you were doing is there much learnings that you were able to bring in or were you looking at the game and how it developed and what changes you need to make then on how adaptable the, the new format is for the team no it was, pro- it was probably going back like it was probably every every manager you played under you were always looking and learning, you know, like, like Charlie came in under Kevin Heffernan. I think I was one of the last players Kevin Heffernan brought into a, a Dublin senior football team, you know, in, in, in 86. And, you know, and then we went through the Brian Mullins managed us for a while, you know, in the 86, 87. And yet we had, you know, obviously Paddy Cullen, Jerry McCall, you know, you know, working its way through. And you had, you had great, you Think about it is you had always great selectors there, fellas that had been there, like Sean Doherty was always, you know, someone that you could look up to, and he, he was a selector and a, and a coach. And then, you know, you were always learning. Fran Ryder brought our training, as Vinny said, to a different level, you know. And then Mickey Whelan came in, he changed things around. 
didn't suit everybody's eye. Not everybody felt comfortable about, about it because, you know, we, we, we had just won in All-Ireland. And even though we were at the end of a maybe a 10-year battle of, you know, you know, being close but no, no cigar, it was a type of thing, well, you know, may, maybe maybe there is another one in us. Like I, I felt, let's go, let's roll up the sleeves. I want to do this again, you know. And uh, I, th I think most of the guys maybe thought that. And it was a bit disappointing that that we did lose Pat and, and Jim and Fran and Bobby um, <coughs> at, that, at that stage. Um, but, like, you know, t I've seen it all evolve, like, obviously playing and then you go in, 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 under pillar with brilliant ideas. Um, you have great people in around you. But we, we actually were missing that business brain, acumen, and also a couple of players that we were unfortunate not to pull through a name. And you, you came in with Pillar as well. Like we were unlucky not to have Alan and Bernard Brogan on the pitch at the same time in any of our matches, you know. Either one started and one got injured or something like that. And they were, they were, Bernard was coming in, coming good. He was starting to see as a bit of a key player to us. You're probably losing Kieran Whelan a little bit. He was going down a bit. Um, but you were learning from Pillar and from each other and so on. But, you know, what this group nowadays are doing is, is based probably on principles that we we were we were fed as as players back in, in the 1990s, you know. But just, just on that, because, uh, like, we were talking about this off-air, if you will, and Charlie, remember I was saying, like, I, I've interviewed Alan Amasi before, and Amasi tells a story about Tony Hanahoe brought him down to meet us after the game at the function. And he was just in awe to be around the team and see it. And Jim Brogan brought Alan into the dressing room after the game. And like that was, even though Bernard Senior was involved, he said that was the moment he kind of realized he wanted to start getting involved with Dublin GA. And, and me, to a, to a lesser extent, when I hadn't got anyone like that to bring me to the function or sneak me into a dressing room, I had to go chasing you guys around in summer camps trying to get autographs. But did, did you kind of see that when you were? in that moment that there was just a wave of excitement coming through the capital and this new crop of players, like basically the current generation where it all stemmed from that 95 team, just like the 80s probably inspired you guys. Oh, sorry, and, and I know that Pat O'Neill uh, alludes to it not so long ago that the success that Dublin are enjoying now, uh, which started in obviously 2011, uh, the initial, the embryonic stages of that started with 95. Absolutely. Because in 95, we've been 12 years since we had walked up the steps of Crow Park, was 83 prior to that. So a lot of people had gone from the age of whatever it be, 6 to six to 18 and never, and never seen Dublin win an All-Ireland. And when we did, you know, climb the Everest eventually, there was a, an outpouring of emotion that it was like pent-up emotion. And it would be the, the release of it uh, was was palpable in all around the city, and it's it's good to know that the likes of Mossy and the likes of Alan were there. I know Wayne McCarthy, who all the boys were very familiar with, also was a, a, a regular in the Dublin dressing room. He Wayne used to help me when I was practicing freeze down on Aaron's Oil, and would come into the dressing room after every game. So much so that some of the people in Crow Park actually thought he was my son. Uh, <laughs> You, you can see there stepping stones from, from 95 all the way through. Clarky spoke there about the, all the managers from, from Kevin Heffern all the way through. And I think it's important that 
uh, every player, no matter how many managers you have, you learn from every manager. You must take something from many, every manager. And you obviously you take something positive. And all those managers that, that Taki just named have had a positive influence, I think, on, on everyone who's played underneath them. And some people are fortunate enough to get to an All-Ireland final and win it, and some are not. There's some players who we know who, who weren't part of our squad in 95, but who were soldiers with us most of the 90s. And we can never, ever, ever forget them. But I do think you're right. And I think it's, 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 it's not been too fulsome of us to say that we, we, look, we want to believe that the, the, the start of this great era started with, 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 with the lessons that were learned from 95 onwards. And uh, let's hope that everyone who was enjoying this great uh, years of success that we're now enjoying, don't take it for granted. Take it that these will end, there will be lean times ahead, hopefully not as lean as they were in 83 to 95 and 95 to 2011. Uh, let's hope those days are behind us. But enjoy these days, because these days they will end sometime. Yeah, and like, I think that's a good point. Like I spoke to like Brian Fenton about this. Like she's never lost a championship game. It's ridiculous, like, you know, the the stats that <laughs> hasn't had the battle scars and like Vinny, for, from your point of view and going back to '95, like you were you were such a big impact and obviously the darling of the hill in, in some situations where we all remember Vinny's gonna get you. Like you know, when when you had that excitement around you, did you know that? the impact that you had outside of the, the current and crop of people? Did you know the impact you were having on, on the wider like people outside of the team? Yeah, just, I suppose by 95 that it sort of waned away a, a small bit. Um, but I suppose coming around 91, 92, probably into 93, yeah, there would have been a little bit of, uh, would have seen that. Um, I, just, I suppose when I look back and I didn't have the, the maturity of where we're all and um, to sort of cope with that and, you know, how to, to deal with it. And I probably, I didn't deal with it well, you know what I mean? You could have dealt with it a lot better. And um, yeah, you can look back and say, I could have, should have, would have, been, you, you didn't. But look, yeah, you would have seen that with kids. I used to always love giving time to kids and coaching with them and that. And like as the lads were saying about the current team, it's, just, it's, it's, it's hugely humbling to think, that this current group of great, great, great players, some of the best players of all time, look back on their team and would think so highly of them, which is which is you know fantastic for for us as a as a, as a team and, and individual players. But I know often to all the lads that they would have been very aware of the Dublin support at that stage. It wasn't as wasn't as numerous as it is now, and how important we used to all the guys outside Parnell Park that be at every training session how important they were to they were part of our journey as well and look i i, I suppose when you look at it you, we were role models in in a way i'm just so so glad that there wasn't social media back then <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of only came in towards the end of uh, my time with dublin which i'm happy about as well but <laughs> yeah but even at that i still remember you guys getting mobbed at every summer camp that i was ever at like you know it, it was a case of nearly a photograph is easier than writing a thousand autographs at times, like you know. Uh, yeah, sure you... 
Well, it was important to remember at that stage, both Paul Curran and myself were Leinster Council coaches. We, we were in on three 11-month contracts from 93. So that was in, in effect our job. And like it was a PR thing as well as the, as the coach. And so, you know, when you're at the winning and all, or you have to try and make as much hay as possible and you're, you're representing the county and representing the team. So you, you have to go out and do your job and stuff like that. But like for me, I... I always enjoyed coaching. Like I'm, I'm, I'm helping out with an under ten girls team now and stuff like that. And some people will say that's probably the best place for me. Look, at that, you know, when it comes to coaching and stuff like that. But look, I, t- I love just talking to the people, especially as Clarky alluded to. Like we would have made huge mistakes and uh, got beaten for them. We would have got hammered over certain things over over the years. And I think that's, that that either kills you or cures you. And I think it cured that team in, in 95 to where they were, as I say, battle-hardened and the scar tissue was toughened enough to withstand whatever is going to be thrown at us. And I think that stood to a lot of people in life and they, you know, after to get any type of difficulties that they had that bit of resilience that they knew once you keep the head down and you work hard enough, you, you'll get through it, you know? So like, I, I, I still love coaching. But uh, yeah, uh, and I... Coming back now, like I, I, I think we were talking a good bit about the aftermath and uh, like the elation that you get from and the inspiration that a lot of people around Dublin got and, you know, getting the next generation of the current Dublin team, you know, excited about GEA was a huge part of what you did. But going into that season, starting back in Leinster, coming up against Loud, like what was in your mindset with that? Because you're after coming out of an All-Ireland defeat and, yeah. Like when you going into that game, uh, there, there was a slight different dynamic as we said. The training was changed. I think um, they decided that, but early on we weren't aware that they were going to keep the the foot to the floor. And we had Tom Morrissey, I think, that was come in as the psychologist. That uh, everybody was well, not everybody. I certainly, I, I certainly didn't want to talk to him. I think it was the last <laughs> one to speak to. And I was under pain. I think Pat O'Neill said to me, "Well, if you don't talk to him, that's it. Good luck." So I ended up having to have a chat with him and I think it was about six, eight weeks before the championship and he basically said, you know, what, what's going to happen? And I told him what happened. I told him I'd play the first game and be taken off and I won't be seen again unless, unless it's really needed. So even Tom, any time we, we have a drink and a, a really smile about it. But um, I suppose, look, I, I started wing forward that, that that day and I think it was the the biggest sort of news was J.O. was was, was making his debut of a full forward. And, you know, everybody has asked me since he took me place. And I said, no, you're, you're confused. I actually started bring forwarders. Jim Gavin took my place because I was on one wing that day. And I think Sean Cat was on the other wing. And funny enough, Sean got taken off before me. I got taken off after. So <clears throat> I always say Jay was going to be there. I think Charlie and, and the lads would, would vouch for this, that he, the attention he took away from some of the better footballers at that time, now Jay got far better his career uh, progressed but his greatest achievement that year was drawing the attention of the other defenders and in some cases I've seen two or three defenders running out the train clattering when Charlie was standing the edge of the square just to tap over another handy free or another handy ball and I think that was the start of it really for 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 us then that we've seen that J.O. making these I wouldn't say the straight out runs it was the lateral runs he used to make in behind fellas was the fans weren't used to that type of stuff and that sort of made it easier for the likes of Charlie, the likes of Mick, Mick Galvin, and 
the likes of Desi then to move from corner forward out to centre forward. So there was a lot of things in the jigsaw that came along. And, you know, Jim, in fairness to him, because two of the biggest foes that year were going to be attacking half-backs because that was the, the year of that, the attacking half-back line. So you had the likes of Garrity, and, which is named from Cork, um, Sullivan, I think, from Cork. They would have been there to be sort of counteracted. And as good as I'd like to think I was, I wouldn't have been a great fella for running back chasing after fellas. Myself and Charlie being that doctor, we fell them or pulled them down or whatever, but not to chase chase back where Jim was one of these fellas. If you asked him to do something, he, he, he would do it. And, you know, going into that game, I, I just got a sense that we were we were there or thereabouts to, to do something. The team probably... I'd say one to fifteen. If you were giving them skill set, wasn't as high as maybe back in ninety one or ninety two or whatever. But collectively, it was a better team because the pieces fitted a lot better than they did beforehand. So you know, and I think as the games progressed, we just got the, the team got better and better as as it went on. You know, I remember actually, Vinny, uh, something that you guys might not know is that Saturday before the game in in Loud. Uh, in Parnell Park, Pat O'Neill called me in off the pitch uh, during the training session and the management team were having a little bit of a selection meeting and we had an A and another at right, right half forward and, right. We, and they said to me who, who do you think should play and I said I think you have to go with the man in form and the man in form is Sean Cahill yeah. Sean Cahill went out the next day was taken off after 20 minutes so hence why I'd never been asked again. <laughs> however, however, what it did, what happened then is that Jay came on, and right. uh, he moved him in corner forward, and I think they moved somebody. I think that whoever was moved out wing forward, Desi moved out wing forward or centre forward, and uh, he got a ball. I think it was at the town end in Navan, and he got upended right in just outside the right hand post on the fourteen yard line. And he got up and he and he threw the ball to me to take the free. And I don't know if you remember, I threw the ball back to him. Mm-hmm. And I said, you take it. And he goes, what? What? I said, you take it. But as I'm throwing the ball to him, I can see Pat O'Neill coming along the sideline in the, cor- in the corner of my eye. And he started roaring for me to take it. But I started... Oh, he was, he was actually saying, it's too far out for him. Holy Jesus, I said, if he misses this, I could be talk, Al, could be go back on? And I could be off. Thankfully, he knocked it over and he settled into the game. I think it happened after two or three minutes after he came on. So the minute he came on the pitch, the, the, he, he, he created that uh, attention. And uh, what he gave us, I think, that year or, and throughout his career was something that we didn't have, for that that particular team didn't have. And that was uh, the goal thread in front of goals, one-on-one. He was without doubt the best I've ever seen one on one. And while the rest of us could kick points from distance, from corners, from left foot and right foot, what we did lack was the goal threat. And J.O. gave us that goal threat. And, and I honestly think that without him that year, uh, we wouldn't have got over the line. Yeah, and I think the, the leash game is kind of what, like what you're kind of alluding to, is like he got the confidence against Loud and going into the Leinster semi final against Leash. And the goal, score the goal the way he did. Off, yeah. Yeah, it just kind of brought that air and excitement again. I think he, he gave him the ball, he gave him a lovely crossfield pass, and uh, J.O. got it. I think he slid left or right past the defender, and as the defender uh, caught him, 
his boot flew off. And I don't know if you ever tried kicking the ball from 21 yards out without your boot. It's actually quite quite sore. But the ball rifled into the top corner of the net and it was a phenomenal goal. And uh, it, he, he was good in the first game against Lowe, but and the, the attention surrounding him was, was big. But when he got the goal against Leash, it just exploded. Exploded in a manner that none of us had ever seen. I think boy zone was was big at the time, and they were calling him the six boy zone or the six member boy zone. And uh, and how we cope with everything, all the pressure that was put upon him was was phenomenal for a for a fellow so young. But I think you got to give yourself credit, Charlie. And you think about the players that were around him too, like Mick Galvin and all himself. You know, good friends, but you know, Mick. Would spend time and, and talk to him and help him yourself was the same and Desi too you know so like he had really good good experienced players proper footballers proper teammates around him too he had the X factor he had a skill level but he was tutored so well and 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 minded really well too you know well he had to be, he was so small and in fairness he was so small and so light he used that to his advantage because he was he was very hard to, to hit. And Marv O'Connor, the, the core corner back, or the back of the core fullback in the semi final, was left on his ass when Leo just turned him. And, and he, he was tough out as well. He was only a young fleet, he was only a minor, he was only 18, and he, he was taking a lot of pun, punishment. And it, like, it was, in fairness to, to J.O., and as, as I did say, he got better and better and better. His career got, went on, he became more influential. From play but I think that particular year I think uh, you had a good year I think Mick had his best year ever and I think Desi had his best year ever because he was there and I said earlier on that he'd done things differently than other footballers that we ever had and I think you're right Charlie had that goal chance but also uh, creating goal chances that game we were talking about in, in the so I came on late and just after he scored a goal the ball came into him and he actually got plowed out of it but I was making the run to try and get a, get a pass off him and normally he'd be put the ball down 30 yard free, but he was he gave me a what a no look pass. He looked out the field and clipped the ball into me, which put me in one on one with the keeper. And I watched kind of went over the bar instead of back in the back of the net. But that's the type of thing that Jay done that we didn't have beforehand. Fellas, that I don't know whether it came from the basketball or whatever, but his peripheral vision and was just it leaps and ahead of anywhere else that anyone else we had but i think that that was his greatest thing that the good players that we had he made them better that year because all the focus really as paul was saying it was on him for the whole year he was like you know he was like a beetle and charlie could walk and nobody would know who would say happened where the year before he'd be getting mobbed and we'd be all getting mobbed but no that wasn't the case anymore it'd be jay was getting mobbed and we were all just left to own the voices and i think that's what worked as well for the team you know yeah, like from looking at it back then, like that, I found that definitely the case. Anyway, you could see that even going around to Carnell Park or, or going around the summer camps, it was just jail, jail, jail. But like Charlie, I think you mentioned that, that like to have someone around them <clears throat> that could give him a ball to try and take it free to get him in the game, like that that shows leadership. And when I look at like the scores that you were racking up, like Charlie in the in the Leinster final, you scored seven points, and you talk about goal threats. Like Clarky scored one too, you know. Like so, as good as it was that Jay was there, and it was you need to have the other people around them want to get him the ball, but then you also need to have the leaders to step up. And going back to that leash game, 
I, I scored a couple of points against Loud. I, I think I scored three points against Leash, maybe. Yeah. Look in my mind, and it was a motivation to me, it was Pat Spillane said in the Sunday game, when would I ever score three points again for Dublin? And he was dead right. I didn't score three points. I scored one, two. <laughs> my enjoyment. You were right, Pat. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that Leicester final that year was... Uh... Was was very sweet for us all because in the, in the I I I I heard before the game in '95 that the, the cumulative scores for the for the last ten years with being Mead and Dublin was the exact same. So that was sort to testify to how how intense and how close all those games were, and for us to go out and win the the the, the, the final by ten points, having gone a few points down in the second half. Uh, I think what what I what I believe what we saw there was was the culmination of all our frustration of all our endeavours and it all seemed to blossom in that last what 15, 12, 15 minutes when from two or three points down we put together a string of scores and, and your goal Clarkey it, it was just phenomenal I remember or even, I, I, I spoke to someone today about it I remember the last score of the game I was taking a free and I looked up in the canal end and I saw we're nine points up, and I went, God, how good would it be to beat the, the old enemy by, by double digits? Double, and, and as I did that, the ball fell off where I placed it. And I felt if I went back and, and, and replaced it, the referee might blow up or throw the ball up or whatever. So I said, I just I, I, I kick it anyway and see what happened. And luckily, it just went over the bar. But I know the emotion personally at the end of the game was huge because I'd gone into the game, my father got ill the day before. And uh, it was the only time ever when any of my family came onto the field, and I met my sister on the field, and uh, it was quite emotional at the time. Yeah, a ten-point win over Mead, like that's huge, given everything that she's gone through. I'd say that's the monkey off the back to an extent. You know, as Charlie, you said getting double digits, you weren't known for your goal scoring, scoring goals again, Clarky. Like things were the. Pieces of the jigsaw obviously were starting to come together. Could you sense that then going into the All Ireland series? It probably gave us a bit of a newfound confidence that we'd had a run yeah. of beating Mead, you know, for a number of years prior to that. And like it was touch and go halfway through that second half. And you know, things went really well for us. Like you can't say that Mead threw it away, just thing clicked. Now you had Cordner going up the pitch, you know, underneath the Hogan stand, like it's like a Rolls Royce going up and clipping a few scores, you know, and everybody was chip, chipping in, and you know there there was an energy there. I, I think, um, I, I think when you get on a roll like that, we got a huge belief in ourselves, and there was a couple of the me players, were probably a little bit older than us, were near maybe the end end of their days. And there was something, you know, had been, you know, put into our minds that, you know, maybe, maybe today, you know, you could, you could maybe retire one or two of these players, you know, and it was something I know it was in my mind, God, and I remember the team talk and, it was, and at one of the meetings that was sort of in your back head, like you could really, you know, do do a job on these and and retire maybe one or two, 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 two of the mead lads, you know, who'd been around and had a lot of miles in the clock, so. It was a bit of a joy for me. They, they were still a great team, right? Because the All Ireland next year. Look what they did the following year. That just shows how great they were. It yeah. just shows 
you know, our achievement was good, but like for them to, to go 10 points, we're right. dubbing by 10 points, the arch enemy, and then the following yeah. year, you know, go me, on. Me, me and you were in Hill 16 for that one in six in 96, Clark, if you remember. Well, following year, that Leinster Championship following year, we said Vinny carried on yeah. watching Hill 16. So we went from, yeah. I'll say hero to zero, but we went. Look, whatever, I, I was a sub in 95, Clark, you were an all-star in 95, and you went from that to... Like that, so, you know. your, your star certainly fell. It took a few. I was on the slide for a few years before that, where you just went from all star to Hill 16, uh, pumped it with myself. But I think the 90, back in that era, you know, we, we were probably on the end of one or two point hammerings. Like to be beaten by four or five points back then, you were really being beaten badly. So, to beat them by 10 points, as a, a lot of things went well, like for us to get there, Clarky's goal was a great goal, but. You know, for, for us to, to do that against a team, as Charlie said, that was there, there was very, very little between us. The only difference between us and them was they were probably slightly older than us and what's called we were sort of coming. But that was sort of, as Paul said, that was the, the end of some of their great, great players. But I, I remember looking at, I couldn't believe it, the surreal, I think that you were at the beating the team that won two All-Irelands in the last number of years, beating the 91, the final after 10 games. And... Then to go into Leinster final and everybody was saying we'd won a couple of Leinsters in a row and you know can we get this monkey off our back and then when the chips are down for the team to deliver and go through and play to the final whistle the way the way we did that day and to come out in the ten points but to look at the desolation of the Mead players at the end of it and I I did get a, a sense of now you know how it feels like lads after ninety one there was definitely a feeling of now it's even you know. Yeah, like, like I think about that. Back in that time, uh, and <clears throat> there's a lot of regret of '95, and the biggest regret I have of after '95 is that that October, I think it was, when Pat O'Neill told us that he was stepping down and the management team was stepping down. That and the reason why they were stepping down that we should have fought harder to keep them. We should have stood up as a team and. And made sure that the change didn't happen. Uh, I know there was a bit of a difference between the, the then chairman John Bailey and, and, and the management team, and uh, it didn't end up well for Dublin football. But that, when people ask me, "What's your biggest regret in football and your time with Dublin?" It was that at that time we didn't unify ourselves as a group and go to the county board and say, "No, this is the way it has to be, and this is the way it, this is the way it I must did. be." Yeah, I did get a sense that when Pat did announce to us that maybe that's what he, not that, that he was hinting at that. Um, you're, you're probably right, Charlie, there was, but there was some fellas there, not not me now in particular, but there was other fellas saying maybe a new brush. You know, with, now we were at the win of five Lancers in a row, we're at the win the other, now we win two or three others in a row with a, with a new management, with a new ideas and stuff like that. But look, you know, sometimes you have to be careful what, what you wish for. Um, Paul was saying earlier on when Mickey came in, I would have been one of his biggest critics. And obviously, I was one of the ones that got suffered the most. And probably looking back and reflection, he, he was probably Royce uh, to do to, to drop us and maybe teach me a lesson or whatever it might have been. But I, I think his, the biggest thing that he did was come in and he, he, what was successful for that team over a number of years didn't need to be changed that much it just needs to be tweaked a small bit but he threw it all out and wanted to go starting again and i think he sort of put himself behind the you know snookered himself from the very off because like that team if you look the, the amount of managers and 
uh, guys that came out that coached teams. There was a lot of fellas that would be very clued in to how the game should be played, what way it should be played, or have a feeling. But that was never all really sort of gathered together in one sort of group the way I think the current team has gone on. Every opinion is listened to. And whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, it's, it's sort of put into the mix and see what comes out. And we weren't that type of team, Charlie, where, you know, everybody got a... We didn't have players meet without the management at that stage where I believe that happens now. And I think if that had, if we had had something like that where the team met their own, I think that could have come out and we could have went back. But when I look back and I, I have said that I think that team could have went, went on and won 96 because the way we beat Mead in, in 95, being in, being in Hill 16, McClarkey, in the, the, the lashing rain, um, when Mead drew level with us with 10, 15 minutes to go and looking at the line and looking at, at the experience that wasn't on the line that day, and I think that's where we lost it. And I just think, I'm not talking about me, but if Clarkie had been yeah, there, the name, that might have made it different, you know? Another point you're making, I will, I will correct you on one point, Vinny, but we did have team meetings without the management there in, in our day. We, and we, we, had, we had quite a number of them. And sometimes yeah. it was blood on the walls when we were leaving, when we were leaving the dressing rooms, there was some harsh things said. And, and I know I said harsh things, uh, and the harsh things said to me also. But there was a... And I think we're... we're I don't want us to be critical of Mickey Whelan here. Mickey Whelan. Oh, no, no, just like, I was going to go on and say he he, he came in. He was the best coach that we, that we had in terms of football. But it was just the wrong time. I, I think it, it it was the right time with the wrong team, possibly because I think yeah. the team was the team was, was a much older team. I think you're, you're right in what you say that what has been successful for us, uh, Mickey, you know, departed from that. Uh, but that wasn't Mickey's fault. That was the way Mickey. Oh, the team, yeah. We probably weren't ready for that. Yeah, Just, no, was, I, think, I think it was a mixture of both. I think it was the team weren't weren't willing to be moved. Willing to be moved. We had stopped being coachable. I think from any outside that I think we we sort of invested so much time and energy with the that that management team that it got us over the line. That somebody coming in and trying to change all that and telling us, you know, what way to. Soccer Dowdies wasn't didn't work for him, and you know his coaching that year I felt was absolutely superb. He done more football drills. I, I learned more skills in that year than I did in probably the previous ten years. But look, it's just the wrong time, or you know we weren't ready for him, or he wasn't ready for us, and it, it just didn't work really. You know. Well, one of the things I think that's really important to mention is Charlie. Just the point you said there about that honesty. Honesty is a great thing until it's directed at you and then it's how you take it, right? Because I've seen it where people have uh, gone in and been on teams where, like, if you don't have that honesty with one another, the team breaks down. There's chinks in the armor. You'll be found out sooner or later. But then it's about how people react to it. So, like, if you have people that, like, you're calling someone out, you're saying, look, we need to do this. I've seen it as well where honesty can nearly break a team. You seemed like you really had that balance where whatever was being said to you was being said to you for the right reason. You take it, you learn, you move on. And that just seemed to be right through the whole team. Absolutely. And uh, it was a, a team that, as I said, as we've spoken about, was on the road for a number of years, was being well-versed in how to walk out of Crow Park, a beaten team on, on big days. Uh, and as I said earlier, every experience you have, you must learn from, you must grow from and make sure any mistakes you made, you don't repeat again. And 
the talks that we had were very upfront. They weren't always sort of big meetings, they were forceful meetings, but there were one or two that, that, that were coming down. I wouldn't call them roaring matches, but there was a lot of finger pointing. And that was required and that was and that's needed because if you if you can't tell somebody what they what they need to hear, who is going to say to them? Is it going to be their best friend who's not a, a member of the team? Is it going to be their girlfriend or their wife? No, it has to be the player who they share the dressing room with. And I've always believed the sanctuary of a dressing room should never be breached. Never be breached. And I know people write biographies. And I don't buy any of these biographies, I have to admit, because what I want to hear is never in those biographies. I want to hear what goes on in those dressing rooms. I want to hear what was said in those meetings. And they're all absent in the biographies. Because I do believe you should never break the sanctuary of a dressing room. And what needs to be said stays in the dressing room. Uh, I fully agree with you on that. Like, and I, I think they're the special moments that as a team you can share with yourselves when you're having a few points together when you're meeting up on a golf day that, you know, I'll give you one story, Eamon, and some of the guys were there. I think the very first game of the 92 uh, championship, we played Offaly in Tullamore. I know we played Offaly in Tullamore that year, and uh, I think it was 92. That's a good snack, right? That was the first game, yeah. And, uh, and was one player, and I won't, I'm not going to mention his name, but was walking around the dressing room with his boots on, with his socks on, and with his jersey on, and nothing else. He was so nervous, he didn't realise he wasn't wearing any nicks. And I had to say it to him. Now, I said it to him quietly. I'm not going to tell, say who it was. It wasn't me, it wasn't her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know he wasn't wearing any nicks. I know he didn't. You better get, we're going out here in three minutes. Get your nicks on quickly. <laughs> and, and he and, and he was I'm not going to give any more information because I give <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a bit of a story about honesty when I, I got dropped from Dublin Cleckie was the first person that I reached out to and I just asked him like you know what do we need to do to get back and like credit to the man he just said look you're not strong enough you're marking wheel out there and home and uh, you need to get bigger and you need to get bigger quickly and Clark kind of took me under his wing and just said, here's what you need to do. Go and do it. Like, you know, it was, it was that honesty that I needed. Like, rather than someone wrapping their arms around me and saying, oh, look, you should have done this, you should have done that, you know, like, don't mind that, don't mind Killer. Like, you know, he's already picking his favourites or whatever it might be. It was Clark that came in and said, no, you're just not strong enough. You need to get stronger. You're not going to live with these lads. So that kind of bond that we spoke about and that honesty, it kind of stayed with you then throughout your whole career then, like as being in art or being in business. I'd imagine it's something that you kind of look at as one of the real lessons that you've got from football. I think we, we all take lessons from football into, into our private lives. And as I repeat, every experience you have, you have to learn from, you have to grow from, and make sure the, the, the lessons you, you learn are the mistakes you've, you've made. You learn from them and you don't repeat them again. Because sometimes lessons you make in defeat, be them, be them very small, can be highlighted. And if I go back to the 92 uh, year, you were beaten by Donegal. Some of us were asked to go into Arnott's and just 
do a photo thing for the take. They want to take a picture of the suit or the it wasn't a suit, it was the jacket and trousers. They want to take a few a few couple of photographs of that. And about four or five of us went in, went in at one o'clock or eleven o'clock of a Tuesday, and we're gone ten minutes later. And when we lost, this became a huge issue that oh they're out gallivanting, they're celebrating before the final and all this. It nothing was further from the truth. But in defeat, everything gets highlighted. And that got highlighted. And what we learned from that and what Dublin GAA learned from that was to make sure you're in full, full control of everything that happens coming up to an All-Ireland final. And it happened from there all the way through to now. And it's probably at a different level now to what it was in our day. But the lessons we learned from every All-Ireland helped us grow on to, the, to, to be Even a better, better team, better squad. But the next occasion, it, it arrived. And the lessons we learned, 91, against me, do not never think the game is over till the game is over. And that didn't happen again with us. The 92 thing with the suits, that never happened again. And any lessons we learned going forward, and I think you alluded to earlier on about Dermot not starting the final in 95. Would I be right to think Dermot came off after five, ten minutes of the semi-final? He was picked to play and he came off. Or was that the Derry game? The Derry game the year before. Dermot was picked to play at fullback and he went in injured. And we had to take, we had to be taken off him in the first And the decision was made after that game at a team meeting that if you didn't play, you didn't train the Thursday before for a match, you weren't to be considered for selection. And that never and that mistake that was made on that occasion never happened again. Except for yeah. the final in '95 with you, Charlie. Okay. Sorry, I, I, want to get, I want to get on to that now. I wasn't that. I trained it towards the night. I think. I know, but you, you kick phrases. But at that at that stage, Charlie, like you know, if if you weren't on if you weren't on your blow, um, you know, from play or from freeze, like we were in trouble in 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 a lot, and that's going in with the the strain, uh, grind like. I suppose a lot of people probably wouldn't be aware of your your some of your antics before before the matches and the, the nerves getting the better you and this and this either Vinny. All you have to do is look at the man right above me here and ask who kicked the winning free in the All Ireland final. We were never sure. short of free takers in, in, in on, on our football team. Clarkey was there, he, he took over yeah, for me. Desi Farrell was taking frees and he scored, I think, actually in the All Ireland final as well. From the right wing, if I remember correctly, but against it was Mead. It's against Mead. He kicked the sideline over. We had Jim Gavin who got kick freeze. We had Mead. What I mean, Charlie, you were such, you were you were such a big leader and a big sort of influence on the team and fellas around you, especially for the, the likes of Jo coming in and then the likes of Jim who was really making us in his first year on the, on the, on the side. And for for you to, to be missed out, that the confidence may have sort of drifted out of the team. And I think. You know, we were all looking at you and said, you're going to play. And look, I remember you saying, Naylor's going to give me an injection. I remember going, right, Grant. I said, this. I was going because I knew I wasn't starting. I was going, just a good chance here we could be playing. I better practice me freeze. <laughs> that was going to happen. Just to make, to clarify that, that I, don't, I don't like leaving things uh, hanging. Pat O'Neill did say to me before a couple of days before the game that he would give me an injection. Uh, 
to help me and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be grand to be able to play. And about 15 minutes before we take the field, I went over to Pat and says, okay, come on, Pat, I'll, I'll give me the ejection now. And he says, Charlie, I've never given any player a player killing ejection in my life and I never will. Either you play, you're fit to play or, you, or you're not. It's your call. So just, to, just so we are very aware, Pat O'Neill does not give injections or never has given injection for anyone to play. It's a, it's, it's, and I want that to make very clear. When you, when you, when you were playing the game, and I, I watched the game back last night on YouTube, you could see the pain in your eyes when you scored the goal. You'd obviously overstretched, and you got up, and you were kind of wincing. Wait, in your head, were you thinking, "Don't show any pain because it could get the curly finger to come off"? And Finney's been practicing freeze before the game. Uh, well, if, if you ever saw Vinny practicing freeze, you'd know that I'm better off staying on. No, I hurt myself on the Thursday before the game, just kicking freeze and Aaron's oil. Uh, and uh, it it was affecting me. There's no doubt about that. And it, it disrupted. I was a creature of habit and my build-up to every game was the same. And... This completely interrupted everything that I did, and my frustration and annoyance that this such something so small could have such an influence and impact on me really upset me. And going into the game, I probably I wouldn't say I wasn't right. I, I, I was right. My head was right, but physically I was I was I was short. Uh, and when the goal, yeah, I overstretched getting the goal. But come here, if if I'd have broke my leg kick that ball in the net, I'd, I'd, I'd have happily broken my leg. Uh, and so would anyone else on that team. Uh, I was able to play on. Uh, I played on to the second half and unfortunately the referee didn't want me playing any longer. <laughs> the red and yellow card came from that. I can't. I, I only found that out when I was looking at this afterwards is that that's why the yellow and red card came to effect. Because as, as I said, it's called the Redmond card. It's not called the red card. <laughs> Well, like Clarky, when you when you see when you kind of know that in your head, right? Charlie might be carrying. Does that in your head going into the game? You want them on the pitch. Do you go right? I have to do a lot more work because the work that you and Jim did in that game and even Corner was unbelievable. Like I couldn't believe the amount of ground that the Trevis covered and tracking back and doing everything that you did. Did you kind of take a bit more ownership and responsibility to say, right, we have to mind him a bit more. We're going to have to do a bit more of the extra work here. I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of the fact that Charlie <laughs> was that injured, and it's quite possibly because if Charlie, our first three scores were three different free takers, as it turns out, keeper, myself, and Charlie. So that just, you know, I need a longer range freeze. Keith, you take him, and then it was mid range. I took, and then Charlie took one. That was your three points, and then I, I don't know whether management didn't want to say to me, look, Charlie's really struggling here because. If Charlie goes off, I'm taking free. It's like that because we relied on him so much because he was the best free taker around. He was so important to us. Um, did, didn't didn't put the pressure on me. I, I didn't. I didn't. I might have covered a lot of ground. I didn't kick great frees. I missed four frees that day. Keep it warm. I missed four, and um, you know, and, and that would stick stick in my mind. If only I had, a, it could have been a. But if Charlie had been on, I'm, I'm sure they would have been over. We might have been out the gate a little bit further. But it, it wasn't. It was part of our. It was part of our structure. We we, we knew our half forward line 
to me myself, Desi and Jim, were told to, to do a certain job and cover a certain amount of ground and do what we had to do, you know. It came pretty natural then to us, you know. So, and then we always knew if you had the likes of, you know, Keith wanted to make a nod, Suarez out the pitch, someone would cover him. I, if I was right half forward and you had Paul Curran gone by, I knew I just had to slap back. So it just, it was a, it was a, it was a seamless type of transition for us to work and do our job and get up the pitch. <coughs> and we enjoy, enjoyed it. You know, you looked at, you looked at your direct opponent and said, you're going to have some fun today and let's go for a run, you know? So that was uh, it, But like that, that line between you and Coroner, like I, I, I actually, I didn't realize how good of a game he had that day. Phenomenal. Uh, and to have that extra support coming from behind you. And I think of like, the current Dublin team with just that half back line, the 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 launch pad that that gives them, like that must be a big thing for you guys because you have such an attacking half back, and then like when you're when you realise that okay we need to it's not going to be just like Charlie you were kicking seven points on average a game, crack you were averaging two or three a game, you kind of need to have seven or eight people scoring if you're going to win in all Ireland. Like you're not just going to be reliant on the one or two. And to an extent, that's probably where Tyrone went wrong. They were always relying on Peter Canavan. Like, you know, just how important was it to have that half-back line that could attack the way they had they could in that final? Well, we, 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 we had a half-back line. Like, we, 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 we Curran, Deegan and Barr. And all three, as Craig, you just quite said, were, were very comfortable on the ball. They were great at coming forward. They were, you know, making runs in, making the extra man. Uh, Curry was probably one of the fastest players, like with Clarkey. And uh, on that side of the field, we were phenomenal. Jim was on the other side, outside me. And he was, Jim was just a workhorse. A workhorse in a way that, I don't mean disingenuous to him, that he, Jim was a, was a magnificent footballer as well. Jim had one of the sweetest left foots in Ireland at the time. and But he could work and work and work. And you quite right, you said, Eamon. That, that that half forward line, very, very mobile. And if you gave them a job to do, the job was done. Uh, midfield, we had two of the probably the best midfield pairing yeah. that I've probably ever seen playing for Dublin. Up until, up, up until we had uh, Brian and and probably Michael Darrow. Because I thought Bilo and Steinsey were just phenomenal. They were very close friends, uh, and that showed on the field the way they the way they played together. But they were, and they're, they're often sort of uh, disregarded in many ways, the influence they had on the team, because particularly in the semi-final, Bielan had a, and Steins, the two of them had a hell of a second half in that game. When when the game was in the melting pot, they just grabbed the game with a scrub of the neck. I think along with Mick Galvin had a super second half on that day also. And uh, they, were the, they were the driving force that got us over that line. And we did have, like everyone, as I said earlier on, we had fellas who kicked the ball over the bar all day from all angles and all distances. But J.O. gave us the little extra dimension. And Vinny as well. Vinny was a phenomenal point taker. Uh, but J.O. gave us that little bit extra that we that we needed and that, that got us over the line on, on, on that particular year. And it, I, I know I said without J.O. We, we, we probably wouldn't have won the All-Ireland. If it wasn't without Jim Gavin or without Clarkey or without Steins in midfield, we wouldn't have won it either. So... And as Vinny quite rightly said, it was the, it, all the pieces of jigsaw came together at the one time to make the perfect storm. And thank you for we limped over the line. We possibly had the, the most attacking half back line that probably played the game 
in the last 20, 30 years and some of the greatest players in, in those positions. But it was also seen, say, go from 92, 93, 94 as a, as a possible weakness that we had. I know we would have had some chats for saying they don't let the ball in, all that type of stuff. And I think about putting sort of uh, things together where when Jim went in and prepared to work all day long, and Clarky was always that as honest as, as, as you got in terms of work rate and working, they might have been beaten out the gate. No, not, not, not that they were, but they were from the first minute to the very end. And I think them going back and covering back allowed the likes of Paul. Paul had two, got two great points there and there was space there in front of him to be able to run into because the likes of Jim and the likes of Clarkie had, I'm not saying sacrifice, but that's, I think the management is sort of, well, there's no point in telling Keith Barr you're not allowed to go past the halfway line. They tried to drop him, do everything, but Keith was going to be Keith. And that's what made him a unique player. And Paul was just so good. Like Paul would be on any team, anywhere, anytime. And Deegan was just such a consummate footballer as well. That you, you, that was their natural instinct was to get the ball and play. So if you want to get the Dogs Award, Paul and what you call it, Jim or those guys, Jim would go back a little bit further and, and dog fellas. Clark, he can get up and down the park. He can do the dog. He can also get the points. And that's what I meant, that the team just gelled. The pieces just fell into place that year. And I just thought that, you know, the, the management team, what they did by, I say, railing in everybody and making the training so hard the Tuesday after a match because we we were we would have been famous for celebrating a lot on the Sunday and possibly the Monday and then possibly the Tuesday night after training. But after that year that sort of stopped because we knew the the the, the savageness of the, the training on the Tuesday and Thursday was going to count against them. And I just think it was it was a combination of all those things. Like Jay was obviously to me was the, the biggest piece in the puzzle for us. But there was also an awful lot of other things that went on that sort of made Clarkie have his probably probably his best year. Definitely Mick Galvin, he got five points in the in the semi final that year. Made what I would call excellent, brilliant footballers have their best year because Jay was there. But Paul Horn had a great year. Keith Barr had a great year. You're talking about Steinsey and what Balen Balen as a spoiler in the middle was probably hasn't been surpassed since. And you know, in terms of ball winner, natural ball winner. You know, there's not too many fellas would have won ball with Steinsey in, in, in his palm. And, you know, Steinsey wasn't a six foot four, six foot five monster, but his way of getting up and down the park was was was, was superb for us. And he only came on in 94. So there was an awful lot of things happened. And probably moving me off the team probably helped. <laughs> <laughs> so I made a little bit more room in the forward, in the forward line for a few other fellas to flower. So I just think it was a combination of a lot of things that sort of combined and was getting getting over the line in '95. You know. Yeah, and and, and I, I I want to touch on a few things there because we've talked about every line and we're working back now to the full back line and, and to the role that John O'Leary had. Good job. The rest of the team was good. <laughs> After every year, my dad used to get me the championship review on, on VHS. And my three favourite players outside of the Dublin team were Anthony Toll. I thought Toll was just amazing. Mickey Linden off down. And I still think Mickey's playing now. Like, it's crazy. And Peter Canavan. And in that final, Peter scored now. I know what... He scored 11 points, 10 of them were freeze or something, but he was a phenomenal talent. Kind of what, what Jay was to Dublin, he was to Tyrone. And you kind of called it out off air, Charlie, that Kieran Walsh didn't have a bad game that day. It's just 
people will talk about this phrase that Peter Calvin scored, like, you know, and, and not really the performance of how good the full back line was and how good John was that day. Yeah, like, Peter, phenomenal footballer, we all know that. Uh, but on that particular day, he scored 11 points, a great return for anyone uh, in an All-Ireland final. Uh, but 10 of them were frees. He only got one from play that day. And it's often not uh, great. Kieran Walsh isn't often given the praise or the credit that he deserves for that day. The, the whole Peter Canavan to one score from play in an All-Ireland final. I don't think anyone else done it since in the, in the three or four All-Irelands that he played. He wasn't kept to, to, to one score from play only. So it's a, it's a, it, it's a thing that, unfortunately, a lot of the people at the other end of the field tend to get all the headlines and the people on that end, uh, if they're not the goalkeeper, tend not to. Uh, um, a lot of people won't even remember who the full-back line were that day, if, if, if you ask them. They, don't, they probably don't remember Keith Galvin or Paddy Moran. And they were probably the three... The, the, the three linchpins of the team that, that year. Uh, Dermot DC was in also. He was f f coming away out in, in, uh, with an injury. But those three guys who ran the All-Ireland final had that phenomenal. I, I'll give you a good story about Paddy Morgan. And Paddy was phenomenal. And I, I, people have often asked me if I picked my, my best Dublin team of all time that I, that I played with, who, who would have... And Paddy Morgan is in every team. He's left cornerback in every team. Because... I think Desi Farrell once said about him that the opposition looked at the most dangerous when Paddy had the ball. Because Paddy didn't touch the ball. Paddy just hit everything that moved around him. And he was so strong and he was so hard. I, I remember, you, Clark, you might remember the incident in, in Parnell Park with Noel Guyton, where he nearly put Noel Guyton over the wall with his shoulder. But there's another story which you may or may not know was in the in the, in the Leinster final when things were the game was in the balance. Uh, we were we had just gone from being a couple of points down to a couple of points up, and the man involved in it said this to me after the All Ireland final was Colin O'Rourke. He says he turned around and he hit Paddy a punch, and he said he hit Paddy a punch so hard that he had to move away from Paddy. Because Paddy hit the ground and he thought he was after doing it. Colm thought he caused serious damage. And he was actually a little bit fearful as he went away. And he looked over his shoulder. And as he looked over his shoulder, Paddy was running back at him. And Paddy came back at him. And Paddy didn't say anything to him. Paddy just gave him a nudge in the shoulder. He says, I'm back. And Colm O'Rourke said to me, that's when I knew we were a beaten team. And that's what Paddy Morden brings to a team. Paddy doesn't have to touch the ball. Paddy just has to be there. And again, as I repeat, every team I pick, Paddy Morden is, is left corner back. Paddy was a, was a huge presence towards the team because his standards in training never dropped. He played every training session like it was a match, like his life depended on us. And like, Gerald, you would probably have marked him, I would have marked him. And you knew if you got two or three sessions and you were marking Paddy and you were going well, you're ready for anybody and that and you know what I mean I remember Naylor saying it to him a couple of times Paddy if you get the ball pass to the nearest fella or kick it as far up that you fail as you can the day before the All-Ireland final when we were in the in in, in Santry and Pat was going around he said John make sure kick outs long any eyeball communicate and he, he said Kieran, make sure you stay tight out in front 
and key and, and key to, you know, when you get the ball the, i know you you want to go forward with it just be careful paddy paddy <laughs> paddy he says eh, what can i say to you he says Paddy, you've broken up half of this team, so go out and break up half of theirs. Parky, in 2008, when we, we lost at Perron, myself, Clucko, and Shane Ryan got a one-way ticket to uh, Amsterdam, and we met Ram Morn in the, in the airport, and he came up and he slapped Shane so hard, and Shane had still been out from the night before. He hit the ground in the airport. <laughs> and he actually... Just came up and said, Shane, how you going? And hit him. And he Shane fell on his knees. I went, why not even shaking his hand? <laughs> it was just like that. Can you imagine what he was like when he attended to hit you? Yeah, don't, don't get him angry. We, Charlie was talking about, about here and there, a, a fullback. We would have marked him again, or been on him in training. And you might got, you might have got the ball in your hand, but he was a very difficult fella to get around to try and get a shot off because he's a very clever footballer in that that respect. And like I've been out a couple of times with Wally, and he'll say, "Yeah, oh, you only scored a point." And you say, "Yeah, but you filled him for 10, 14 yard freeze after it, you know." But look, he, he he was a great player here, and he he was another guy that was was on the I think he was on the eighty two all or minor team, was he? Was with a, with a few others? So he was he was on the eighty four. He was on your team, Clark, was he? And, you know, again, he was around a long time as well, and his day came. And then, I suppose, you know, then you go to Keith, a cornerback, and I think, you know, it went from who's going to play there. It looked like young Paddy Christie was going to get in, and he broke a finger, and then Keith had just come onto the panel and fresh-faced, and I think he was wearing fake tan, and him and Jo just sort of got it. They were the spoiled boys of the, the team, and they just they were a breath of fresh air that he came in and played and trained with a smile on their face. And you, you couldn't help but when you're around them just being in good form and good humour with them. And like he went out, he had a great game in the semi-final, very solid in the final. And you know, and Charlie's right, it's an awful pity that the, the full back line generally don't get as much as the forwards or the marquee players on any team. Like John O'Leary would go down in any discussion of the great goalkeepers of all time. And you know, sometimes these guys are sort of left behind. But like Paddy Ram, if I, if you asked anybody in the team, they they'd all have huge affection for him. To me, it was just his standards and training, in the, the the physicality and what was needed to be done. But in on in training the match days, talk about getting you sharp. Like I've I've no doubt I've often said to him that I marked him, or he would have marked me on the B team in '92. And without him on me in '92, there's no way I would have been anywhere as good as I prob probably was. And I, I think all the players seen that Wally was one of these guys that would just go in and, you know, cornerback, wingback, fullback, whatever you need, and we do that. And Keith was just one of these fellas that came on. And they say, I suppose they come on to thinking that, you know, we win all earnings every year, we get the all earnings finals every year. We knew from the previous four or five years that that doesn't always happen, but they probably thought that was going to roll roll on all the time. But they, they don't get the, the credit that they deserve. We probably get more credit for 95 and Keith Galvin, fellas that were actually on the field for, you know, the majority of the game, which is which is strange. But look, you know, what you've been do. in a few nights with Keith Galvin and he's still making the most of that. So don't worry about that. He's he's enjoying <laughs> yeah, um, fair play. He's entitled yeah. to it. <laughs> like getting back to the final now, like the one thing that I got from the match again was the pitch invasion. How good that meant. Like, I know you were like the euphoria of that final whistle and going, winning by a point. 
But then to have the fans running on, could you see your family? Could you see your friends? Or were you just on that cloud you couldn't come down from? I think I might have been close to Hogan Stands when it happened. And I seen it all coming. And then the guards used to make a, like a horseshoe around the tunnel area, you know, leading up to the, the cup. And Charlie would know my dad very, very well from the fire brigade. And I'd be a quiet enough man. And, you know, he, he was at the game that day and wouldn't say an awful lot. Like, he'd be he, fairly critical. And even nowadays, he, he, you know, doesn't say that. And, be critical even at the present Dublin team and I'm trying to explain to him how the game is evolving and why people are doing certain things when I came through the court and got I broke through the court the first person I seen me was me dad and I like, I'd never seen emotion in my father before you know you know like he, he he'd have gone in and done overtime for previous All-Irelands or you know, he was covering Charlie in different fire stations to let Charlie out for training or something. But my father was in the middle of this horseshoe and he just said, you've done it, you've done it, and turned on his heels and disappeared, you know. But it was, you know, it, 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 it is surreal. You see the photographs and you, you can look at the like everybody's face that day standing up and stepping. Really different sets of emotion. Like there's people looking for certain people in the crowd. There's people looking around trying to take it all in there's some in shock there's some you know just it was a surreal uh, event and even then as charlie said when we finished we, we were brought down the back of the hogan and into crow park headquarters and inside there was a fountain and we stood around this fountain talking so we have to calm down and get the crowd out and then we walked underneath the hogan stand down to the dressing room and they were saying what what's What's this? Is this the way it's supposed to happen? Is this what it's all about? You know, we we weren't. I don't think we were prepared for for a win. You know, we never thought about. It. We just thought of playing. Let's get the result. There was no thought of anything else. You know, so you just you just were you were in the moment, as to say. You know, and not sure what to do. Yeah, it, it it's funny. Like I'm sure the three of us have a different memory of when that final whistle went. But what happened like on well like what was it i remember when the whistle went i ran out of the field and as i ran past pat o'neill and pat o'neill actually didn't know we'd won the game that was a draw pat o'neill thought it was a draw he thought the, the final uh he thought the final point was allowed and kind of in touch yeah yeah people say what were about the last point they said you mean the last free last free at the last point, it was a free. Uh, so he he thought it was a draw. So I didn't look. I didn't look back at him. I think it was Fran Roy who was telling him, "No, we won, we won, we won." So I was able to run on. I don't. I don't remember meeting anyone. I, I on the field. I remember going into that horseshoe. You were fair to Clarky, uh, and uh, I met a next door neighbour of mine. who was a groomsman at my wedding, and he was a security guard, and we had a big hog, and we had a and I remember, I, I, I don't know if you do, you know this, like if you're sent off, you're not supposed to partake in the aftermatch activities. You're not supposed to go up and up the steps across. Up. And so I I didn't know whether I should or shouldn't. And I was actually, I decided I'm going to do it. And Wayne, Wayne Daly was beside me. He was in front of me. And I still, even when I got to the, I was going to walk past and not lift the cup. 
and leave us and say I didn't I didn't partake because I didn't want to get I was in enough trouble I didn't want to get into any more trouble so, but I said no here I'm, I'm going to do it so I lifted the cup up and uh, I was the last to lift the cup that and I think I left the cup behind me I think I walked off and left it there but I don't know who picked it up but I do remember because of the health and safety we weren't allowed to go back down onto the pitch because the crowd that was on the pitch and there and it was a bit I completely agree with you when we sat down there I stood down there in the in the or Carla area, it was a little bit surreal, you know, is, is, is this what winning an all Ireland's about, you know, it, it, we should be on the field like all the others had been in, in previous years, like the, like Claire were two weeks ago, but we're, we're being deprived of it, uh, it was done for the top of the I know, but uh, it was a little bit anticlimactic at that time. Yeah, I, I think my memory of it was, I suppose, after the two beating all earns and the crowds running past you and you being left sort of on your own, it was amazing to be jumped and hopped all over and getting slapped in the back and jumping into players and just not know where to go. And uh, look, The last kick out I was competing for, all I wanted to do was get the ball. So I had the ball and I think it was grabbing out a Bilo and Jim Gadden was in front of me in that iconic uh, photo now as you see Jim on his knees but I'm halfway up trying to catch the last ball and the rest, the referee had to blow the whistle but again we were in the, the horseshoe and we all went up and there was a bit of just relief uh, satisfaction but really is, is this what it was all about is this what all the heartache and break and you know don't get me wrong it's, it's everything that we all always wanted but I, I, I found myself outside walking into the actual under the Hogan stand where the supporters were streaming out and I was walking up in my boots at the ball and the first fellas give us a cigarette and I'd gone up to the, the changing room and getting in to try and get out back out onto the pitch and you know and but like I have to say I don't know if the lads remember when we got back into the dressing room just the the huge sense of achievement that a group of fellas had got together and you know all their lifelong dreams had come together in one moment in different ways and i, I just thought it was you it, it was unique and it was it was some fantastic uh, experience i think you know the dressing room the dressing room was special all right really. but getting to the dressing room wasn't special yeah. because as you said, we walked underneath the hogan stand and all the crowd were in the hogan stand and we were sort of there now. we could have got a burger we, we, I remember actually getting to the door, and we we couldn't we had to knock on the door, and no one had opened the door. Yeah, they couldn't believe the team was outside. Was the team were outside the door, so we were outside the door trying to get in, and they, they, no one was answering the door. We eventually got in, but the dressing room was yeah was special, it was very special. The, the dressing room is when it's you guys, so it's it's when it's just the players, it's the management, it's people that well, you. It, it it was for a very short time, if you remember, because all the wives came in. Yeah. Ah, all right. I didn't know that. <clears throat> a load of the wives came in and uh, they were in the dressing room. So we, it took a little bit longer to get out of the dressing room so we could have our shower. Uh, but yeah, it was. And I, whoever, I, I, I think it might have been Keith actually, who went out <laughs> and, and got the stewards to open the door and had all the wives in. Uh, could be wrong, but I'm really certain it was Keith. Keith Barr. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose they're the special moments when it's just you and you, you kind of look back and you say well look you can look one another in the eye and you did the hard yards on a Tuesday Thursday on a, on a wet pitches in January and February to be there in the end and to like to get there and then the aftermath 
uh, I'm sure the explosion in the city, like uh, we, we've talked about how it, it inspired the current crop and the 2011 team to get involved. Did you ever envision it would be as big as what it was? Like, and I and I know the whole jail hype and how how crazy that was. Like, you know, from speaking with jail, what did you guys just ever think would be what it was? No, no. I I Clark even remember a bus journey we had in '92 uh, after being beaten by by Donegal. It was it was a joke. And we were when we won, we were fearful of what 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 might happen. Uh, and we were in Dame Street, was it in the Central Bank, where they held the uh, the, the the public that uh, presenting Sam to the to the homecoming, whatever you want to call it. And we could only see the uh, Nassau Street and and Trinity College, and it was full, it was thronged, and we could see up Dame Street, it was thronged. And, and after it, they put us in the bus and they were bringing us, and I remember, why did they put, bring us in the bus? We thought we were going back to the hotel. I think it was the Burlington we were in, going back to the Burlington. Uh, and they brought us, and then we went around, I think it was uh, the Lear Street, or was Street, whatever one it is. And then we just saw the rest of the crowd that was Westmoreland Street and all up O'Connell Street. Um, that was just breathtaking to me. When I saw that, I went, oh my God. I realized then fully what we what, what we'd done the day before. Because I I had never seen a crowd like that in my life. And it, it was it was Paddy's Day ten times over up 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 O'Connell Street. And it was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it, that was one of the most enjoyable times I felt was was that journey up O'Connell Street. Uh, and all the kids, there was loads of kids there, the smiles on their faces. There was grown people who were men who were crying nearly. Uh, because they, they thought we, we thought this team in particular had sort of been through the mill so much over the previous years that we'd never get over over the uh, over the hurdle. And but that was that was that was a special moment, I thought. And I know I on I remember on the bus going to Pat O'Neill and I looked at him and I says, That painkill injection you didn't give me yesterday. I might need it tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and walked away. <laughs> Is that what, like, Clark, you've been a kind of involved in various different teams now over the years, but can you relate back to then as well? Like, did, did you get the same buzz when the team did, the, when you won the last All-Ireland as being a selector versus 95? No, not even close. Not even close. I mean, it's like, you know, Vinny said it earlier on there about, like, you know, we won the All-Ireland. Now, this crowd of players are winning 6-7 and, you know, who knows, maybe 8, you know. But I, I would I would feel about it that that one All-Ireland, to me, is as as is as important to, de- to me as it is their 7 to them, you know. Like, it, it, that, it, it means that much. To, to be so part of a group of players, to be part of you know Dublin, if you want to call it history, um, you know, and what has come from it. Um, so, you know, and I don't take I don't take take it at the moment time that these lads they don't appreciate what they're doing, they don't appreciate what they're achieving. It, it is always in hindsight. It's always those few years down the road when you might hear one, one or two new more stories or 
you share a few things with each other and things have happened in each other's lives. So the next time we will meet up, we'll be different people in a lot of ways, but we'll be the, still the same group in so many, you know. So um, <coughs> see what these guys are achieving. They, they are an incredible group of men. Like, it's, it's frightening. It's unreal. In some ways, it's not even right the things that they're willing, the lengths and, and depths that they're willing to go to to achieve what they've achieved. Could our group in the 90s have done that? I think we went to certain lengths and certain depths to achieve what we did because the game was different, society was different, the demands were different, the expectations are different, um, the length of a season, the number of games you have to play. You know, there's so much detail that they go into. But, you know, our, our All-Ireland is as important as if they're seven or eight. I think we'll all appreciate that. Yeah, uh, and I... Like I just kind of want to finish up. I don't know if any of you have any stories you want to tell before we kind of wrap this up, Finney. I don't know if you have anything on the boys. I know, well, and uh, Charlie said it earlier on to leave the dressing room, the sanctity of the dressing room where it is. So I'll, I'll bow to that, Charlie, for you for, on this one. But it's, I suppose, you know, how, how we done in the hours or so, the two or three hours after the win, I suppose everybody went they're different ways. I ended up back with uh, friends of mine back in, in one of the bars in, in much called in Fairview, I think, Coles. You'd know, well, I'm a lot of your mates drinking there. You used to drinking there yourself. So I ended up, I was saying, look, you're paying, playing catch up with these fellas because they were at the being on the batter all day. So you're drinking a few whiskeys and, you know, and you hadn't been out that much and all that that year. So I ended up getting dressed up from head to toe and blue. I think Charlie and uh, Paul, I remember this, and I, I missed the queue for the, the dinner and arrived in in a, in a top hat, blue top hat, <clears throat> sunglasses and a Dublin mice coat in the middle of, the, I think, the speeches, and I was ushered out the doors by John Bomber Costello. And I suppose it's just, for me, it was getting back to, you know, family and friends and, and club mates and stuff like that to share the moment with them. And then go back to the team to, to celebrate as we as we did and we did well and you know what I mean. I remember I, I had a promise uh, that I that John O'Leary had made to me early on in the year that if he we won that he'd give me the cup that night because I, I don't know if the lads knew that I always got the cup the night of the the night of the match if he won Leinster or a league or whatever. So I, I chanced my arm with Sam and John Estrews's uh, words. We were we were in the hotel and this Sam was being put to bed uh, by John. John Bailey and I said John what's the story and he goes don't be worried and so five minutes later I followed John out and John gave me Sam and he said now I'll be down to your house nine o'clock in the morning we're going out to North County I think we're going out to Pats on a base one of the schools there and John said I'll be down first thing in the morning so that was grand so we ended up back I'd say about half ten eleven o'clock that night on a meet in with with the Sam so you can imagine the you know the the who had there was that that amount of crack. They actually shut the bar on me. They they, they closed the bar down and said, right, everybody out. And I was like, what? We have Sam. What are we going to do? So we ended up with a club that I've managed and played with, and you'd know Saint Monica's. So I rang them and they said, yeah, come up. So we ended up up there until God knows whatever in the morning. And then, you know, sure enough, I, I probably got in about two minutes to nine to meet John to go down to the base, and we had a few brecky rolls and stuff like that. And but look. The, I suppose the, the the initial three or four days after is a blow for most fellas, which they are because 
you know, you're celebrating with everybody and everybody wants a piece and you're being pulled left, right and centre. But that, that was my outstanding moment, having the, uh, nearly getting onto the Sunday game speeches and what you call it then, getting the, the cup to go to your closest, your nearest and dearest with it that night. There's not too many fellas can say that, which, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have that that memory, you know. Yeah, and, and, and you, you can enjoy it because the next year it could be all gone. You could be standing on the hill and that's that's nearly a full seven or eight months later for, for, for six years it was six yeah. years before we got back there people often forget when people nowadays talk about splitting Dublin in two people don't really don't don't remember the bad old days when like we've we Pat O'Neill always said that any time we'd met up and whatever he said, you don't realise it. Only in the fullness of time will be realised the the depth of the, you know, of what we'd actually done. And I agree with what you said, Paul. That you know the the amount of sacrifice, heartache, pain, blood, sweat, and tears that went into winning one hour was was equivalent to what these guys are doing. And they're they're a superb group, and you know they're they're a lot different than than our group in a lot of ways. That. They're probably more coachable and that's probably their the education from the development squads all the way up that we wouldn't have really had we would have had our own clubs and stuff like that but we wouldn't have these um high performance say development squads all the way up to sort of you know to knock a few uh square pay you know knock a few edges off a few of the roughness of players especially say to like myself it could have um made us more rounded players and stuff like that and therefore we could have Maybe one a little bit more, but I do agree that the, you know to have one or Ireland after all that effort is is on a par with everything, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the I did something today and I said something and it's when it only when I said it I realised how apt it is and with with what's going on, some of the conversation going on from certain people in 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 the media and certain pundits and RTE that on that occasion in '95. Two people lifted a trophy. John O'Leary and Paul Curran, a North Sider and a South Sider. And that's the way Dublin will always be. <laughs> and on that note, Charlie, I'm gonna finish up and just say, look, I suppose the thing I take from it is everyone's story is different. And like your story from '95 is different to the story of the current team, is different to the story of the team in the 70s. And I think everything that you went through as a team. Like be it the '92 game, '90 losing to Derry in '93, and then '94 as well. Like you know, and the battle scars of '91. I think your story is unique to you guys, and that's what makes it so, uh, so strong when you tell it and it resonates with so many people because the emotion. Like I, we're, we're an hour and twenty-four minutes now, and I could probably spend another two hours talking to you because I got so much from you guys of just the sheer emotion that came from it the trip back memory lane of talking about Joe kicking the score against Leash, but even at that, not starting against Loud and Charlie giving him the ball to take the free to get him in the game. Like, you know, there were so many different moments throughout the year that makes it unique to you. And it was a pleasure to walk down memory lane and to share them moments with you. And I want to thank you for your time. And I really, really do hope you get to have all them moments, clarity of all the hard work as a committee that you have put in because you know, there is such a cool group of players there and, and it's important to celebrate these moments and celebrate these milestones of 25 years. So, look, thanks for your time tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Evan.